Hello, and welcome to Frostside Chat, <laughs> our weekly live stream to post-session discussion where we talk about what just happened during D&D. This is the chat for session seven. If you haven't watched that session yet, then you don't get my goat talking reference and go watch that session because there will be spoilers here. I am DM Eric and joining me is Val Robbins player Chris. Hello. Edmonds player Raymond. I've successfully downed two players in one session. <laughs> the two of us. Specifically. That's true. It was the two of you. Write down yours, because I do keep track of the stats. This is, this is ghost side chat tonight. The ghost side chat. <laughs> With the dead speak. Next on ghost side chat. Uh, let's go to the... Nap for nap. For now. So this has a lot of stuff from the game and then uh, stuff from the book and then ways in which I modified everything basically so starting at the beginning the check to find where to go in the mountain is a group check and I thought we talked about this crafting in crafting actually and it seemed that like well you would obviously just use your like lead tracker to search it seemed like there's like, why would you be like, and it, the group check makes sense if you're all, all be looking? right. If you're all trying to like avoid hazards or like if you're avoiding exposure or something, in this case, you're just trying to find something. It's like one person has to do that. So I just had like, you know, Thimbleweed was the best survival. So he rolled, it was a DC 15. And if you fail it, um, this wasn't like a, oh, you don't find it. You have to make the check again. I hate those kind of things. Instead, this is a, you fall forward. So you succeed, no penalty, you find the thing. If you fail, you find the thing, but then the penalty is you now have to make the con save to avoid getting exhaustion. Which, right. I put the con save at, like, DC 10. It's not very high. Um, but you failed it. <laughs> Which is why only Valravin failed it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think somebody else rolled, like, an 11, so I, I pretty yeah, much... Yeah, it was, it was very... Was. I think somebody might have actually rolled a 10. Oh, okay. it, was, it was pretty close. Um, and then you find the base camp, which I believe, as written... Um, you find a bunch of sled dogs, and that's pretty much it. Really? Yeah. So what I did is I added um, added the owl bear. I added a yeah a snowy owl bear, which is a creature in Rhyme of the Frostbane. I, I think it's the exact same as owl bear. I think it just looks different. <laughs> I, I couldn't right. tell if it had different stats or not. Um, and initially, and we talked about this in crafting also, is the bear was just going to be rooting around in the camp. And you guys could have a choice of, like, do you try to sneak past the bear? Do you, uh, you know, distract him and try to move the bear somewhere else? I was thinking I wasn't necessarily going to force this as a combat encounter. And then, uh, shout out to Jason that was wa watching the crafting, uh, said, you know, I had all the sled dogs, you know, gone. And they said, what if you put, like, a dog in there, and now the dog's in danger? I was like, oh, that's really going to force this fight. And I kind of like that mean, idea. Nobody <laughs> wants to see a, watch a dog die, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it kind of adds a little more personality to the camp because, like, yeah, you could just sure. speak with animals and all that kind of And you could learn about information. So I really like that idea, and I ran with it. And sure enough, and if you notice, I put you guys on that map a little earlier than I usually do because I'm like, you guys are, I'm basically encouraging this to be a fight. So and I, I actually right. want that effect of you guys thinking tactically. So, uh, yeah, you get a shout out. Um, 
and that worked pretty well. I rolled crazy good for hit points on that thing. It had 70-some hit points, which is well above average. And, you know, in this case, I was like, the player's getting a surprise round. So they have a huge advantage. It's only one enemy. You've got the action economy. So even though it's got a mess of hit points, uh, you know, I'm still feeling pretty good about you guys not, you know, hurting too bad. And you guys did a pretty good job of not, you know, you've actually done very good at not expending all your resources. I'm almost frustrated that Heather is so good at not using all of her rages, like, immediately, like she's been keeping them banked. <laughs> uh, pretty good job of, like, identifying, like, yeah. which fights are going to last a long time, which, you know, like, if a fight's going to go on for a little while, to rage then, and if... Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I guess I can actually, I'm not looking at that map right now. Which I think in that surprise round, you guys did a mess of damage. And then I think I happened to roll decent on initiative. I don't remember on that one. You're second. I was second. Okay. And then, uh, and you did that good uh, Dissonant Whispers combo, which I think I used that in Storm King's Thunder as a combo too, where I would cast that like at people. Yeah, when it was around melee people and it triggered all the attacks of opportunity. It's a really great combo. I just like that yeah. spell as a single target. Like, you're feared for this one turn and it does damage and all that. So that yeah. was a great combo. And then I basically got only the one turn, I think, with the owl bear, and it just did a fuck ton of damage to Edmund and just messed you sure up. Did. I think that had to be near max damage because I rolled well above its average. I think it has an average of seven or eight damage with each attack, but it does have multi-attack. I got too confident that was running away. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think at that point it was already at maybe... I think it was just above half health. And then you guys did and that damage in the surprise round. And then it attacked Edmund and downed him. And then you guys did almost all the rest of its damage in the next round. Where it only got that one attack off. And then immediately it starts retreating because I'm thinking... You know, animals are going to retreat when they're injured. And generally anywhere around... Um, you could really start anywhere below 50%. But with a lot of these hit points, it's like... Once they get below 50%, they're probably at like 10% or 20%. Like they're right, really low. Right. And so it just disengages and runs away. So it really only got that one round. But it was a hell of a good round, which is kind of a great fight. It doesn't last very long, but it's still exciting. It does a lot of damage in that burst, and then it's over, <laughs> like, right after that. Yep. Yeah. It gets in, it downs somebody, and gets out. Exactly. Uh, so that was basically just there to make that camp more engaging. Um, and then... Uh, I added all of the journal stuff. So you oh, guys, what? yeah. I actually, I, I used the same uh, subscription set I used to make that landing page and uh, put some of that parchment on the, in Roll20, like in just a, a blank page and just wrote with the Roll20 text editor all those journal entries and just print screen and, and save that as a handout. <laughs> As I didn't even use, I so hate image editing software. As I find it such a cumbersome pain in the ass compared to the simple tasks I need to do. So the I just- The funny thing is you're tying yourself in knots trying to avoid it. I'm probably spending as but it's much not, time. It's not that hard. Like I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I did it in like minutes. Yeah. Like I just like, all right, I'm gonna yeah. find this parchment, throw it on there, I'm gonna add all this text. You just- You've just learned all the workarounds so well at this point. I mean, the one thing is, obviously, I'm limited on, like, oh, Roll20 only has, like, five different fonts, so I'm just going to have to use one of them and, and that. But otherwise, like, it, it gets me doing what I need to do, so. Yeah. This was all written by me from similar to what I did with the Company of the Yellow Banner into Annihilation, where it's like, I like the idea of a previous adventuring party, which they are written in the book. That part is there. 
but I added the journal entry stuff. I think that's, you know, and it's just good, you know, environmental storytelling where you learn about, you know, what's going on. And, and this was, I added this before I even had the, the dog and um, mm. before Thimbleweed was going to talk to it, which I did anticipate that and wrote down some information the dog would know. Um, but that helps just kind of tie together a little bit more information about, and you know, you'd heard that they started in one place, they went to another place, they picked somebody up, and you can kind of follow that along, so you got that Originally, it was, just, it was just a camp full of dogs without any people there, and there was no information about the... Nope. Huh, okay. Yep. Professionally designed and written by Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> not that I'm throwing shade at all, but... <laughs> <laughs> maybe put a journal entry in there i don't know it's it's pretty this is game design 101 here right like come on come on guys what are you doing <laughs> um and then uh you guys short rested here which uh duh and then you made it up the mountain which the other thing i did i wasn't sure about this because obviously a, a dm you know all the maps are you know this kind of map is not a player map but i thought this is such a cool map and I actually like the trail on there, and it makes sense if the guide, that's the reason they got this guide, is to help them up the mountain. Yeah. And this way you guys don't have to worry about the, like, well, which way do we go, where are we going? I'm just like, look, there's no, you don't have to worry about navigation. I'm going to take that element out of it. This is more of a, kind of a linear dungeon crawl. You're just experiencing right. all of these events as you go up. I'd love to know y'all's thoughts on how that has been playing out. I mean, I, I think it's it's totally fine. Um... I'm trying to think about that, what the alternative would be. The alternative would just be what, like a picture of a mountain, and we don't and we don't know what we're doing yeah. there. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, how did you? You have to like figure out your own path or roll all these checks to explore, and maybe there's like random encounters or things. I, you know, to me, this strikes me as kind of like like the town map, right? Like you you roll into a town, or like the the uh, Prince of the Apocalypse one. With the like the valley, yes, that, the yes, I've cited that too as as a uh, as an overland map. I mean, the yeah, tomb, like tomb, like tomb of the animation was technically that whole first half of that campaign uh, was yeah, that. But it's so large. It scale. was very large. Yeah, very, very regional. Yeah, yeah, this is a limited space that you are going, and it does like the Final Fantasy, like do 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 do. You know, as you go into like right. individual battle map scenarios. Yeah, which but, obviously I mean, it like even have to be though. Like the goats weren't their correct. Own map, right? I'm not so because it's roll twenty. I'm not making the ma a map for the fucking goats. I'm not making a map for the avalanche. Like you know, you know, if that turns into a combat, if you guys want to fight the goats, then I'm just gonna let you kill the fucking goats. I don't. I'm not gonna. <laughs> um. Yeah, I gotta get that goat milk. But yeah, so if you notice all of all of this part, like and and literally the arrows leading to the things, which I think is cute and funny, which weren't there before, right? No. So this is there's stuff hidden on the GM layer that I am adding to okay. the token layer as you experience things as you go along this Matterhorn ride, basically. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Which I'm so I'm using all of that stuff, basically all that stuff that's you know written in the book. You know I'm not creating all these you know map art tokens and things i'm using that but i'm basically adding and embellishing to all of these events as they go for example the mountain goats i anticipated uh well i anticipated reese doing speaking with animals on one or the other i did not expect him to use two spell slots to speak with both animals he wasn't there for the first one so <laughs> i oh was he not i guess not nope. i thought he came i guess he came in right around that time but yeah that's true we were already done talking to the dog by the time he okay good point true um, so it wasn't in his memory that he did that. So yeah, and 
I didn't necessarily. So it's you know I made the goat. the The dog was always supposed to be the more helpful one. The goats are dicks. I figure because they're goats. Um, but fucking Reese just did a fucking hilarious job of of role playing with it, and I had really fun. He's, he's, yeah, he was laying on really thick. He was laying on real thick. He was going to go with those goats until he got something some useful. Yeah, and I wanted to reward that. You know, he had the yeah. the advantage with the animal handling, I think, and he rolled well enough with that, and he fed the rations. Like, all right, you're doing all this really well. Um, I'm always cognizant about how much information do I actually, you know, have these animals be able to convey because it does say they're limited intelligence. No, right? So yeah. So I had fun with like, yes, there's danger and maybe kind of tease. And I like the yes, no thing a lot for the beginning where it's like, they don't, that was pretty, that was you know, pretty funny. they can answer simple questions. It's um, pretty funny when we picked that, picked up because it wasn't like until like three, four questions. Like, all right, yeah. these guys are giving like one word answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're not the most communicative animals out there. Yeah. But I literally had it written where if you guys ignored the goats and just went around them, the goats were going to bleat at you and, like, scare you, and you'd all have to roll, like, literally a deck save and fall down and make it, like, a little mini trap event if you didn't do anything to the goats because they're just dicks. Um, But because he did such a good job with it, I thought, which I didn't have this written out in my notes, but I thought, oh, shit, well, I will have them warn about the next danger, basically, which in this case was an avalanche that, you know, they're not you know, precognitive where they can say, there's an avalanche is going to hit you, but it's like, hey, watch right. your step, you know, we don't have to worry about it, but this area is pretty dangerous. So what that translated to is everybody got advantage on that first perception check. Okay. So that was the reward for basically role-playing that situation, which... Yeah, I, lay out lay out this avalanche for it, because the avalanche, okay. it, seemed, it seemed very cool, but unfortunately for the players, we don't get to see all the cool what-ifs. We only get to see the end result. True. Not much in this case. Yeah, so we talked about this a lot in uh, crafting, but this is... The avalanche rules in the book suck real bad. Really? Um, yes. I don't even know if I can look them up easily where they would be, but um, maybe I can get my book out. But I used avalanche rules from a different source, from the DMs Guild, from, uh, I believe it's from Eventier Games's uh, whatever his Rhyme of the Frost main thing is called complete DM's guide or something like that. And that one turns into a skill challenge, which skill challenge is kind of a divisive thing in D&D. It was used a lot more in 4th edition, apparently, um, which basically, it, it kind of overly gamifies a lot of situations, and it basically says, all right, players, to get past this event, whatever it is that's not combat, usually a hazard or something, um, you need to have you, you make this many successes before you reach this many failures. And sometimes you have to do certain checks, and other times it's up to the players to come up with checks that they're making that make sense. And the DM has to like assign DCs based on, well, how much does that check make sense in this situation? Like if there's a you know rolling boulder coming you, you're trying to use performance and so like that's you know probably not gonna be work, yeah, it's gonna yeah. be really hard. This um, is how I was running the, the river epic in the last campaign. So it, it, that's the, the very similar thing where it's like, okay, it's a series of, I'm yes, ask you to do skill checks. And I'm not telling you which ones you have to do necessarily. Yes. Um, so my question to you is, did you have different degrees of things that would happen depending on how many successes or failures, or were you looking for just, everybody has to make a certain amount of successes before failures. I had, I had degrees of failure. I had like, okay, if they fail this one, a, 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 a hole pops up in the bottom of the boat and it begins to fill with water. Okay. And so they, it's harder to do the next one. And then if the boat ever, like, gets destroyed, they're just they're taking damage, they're tumbling down the river. 
Okay, so the avalanche oh. rules as written is you roll initiative. The avalanche is 300 feet wide and 150 feet long and 30 feet thick. Um, the avalanche travels 300 feet. On initiative counts I, 10. I already don't like this. I, already, on, I know, I, I know. On initiative counts 10 and 0. And when an, initiative, when an avalanche moves, any creature in its space moves along with it and falls prone, and the creature must make a DC 15 strength save, taking 1d10 bludgeoning damage at a failed or half as much damage as a successful one. If it's When the avalanche stops, the snow settles and buries creatures in it. They're blinded and restrained, and they gain a level of exhaustion for every five minutes they spend buried in the snow. I guess people can come and take them out. The DM has to keep track of that time. So there's no avoiding it because it's 300 feet long, and you, nobody can right. move that fast. I didn't hear a save, right? You just you just get caught up in it. There's there's a there's a strength save. A strength save, okay. and you take half damage, which is only one d10 for an avalanche. Okay. So it's basically a single save for one d10 damage, or and you can be buried, and that causes more problems. But again, there's a weird like time which, thing there. Why even turn that into a, a an initiative thing at that point instead of just cinematicing? Yeah, it seems pointless saying, to do hey, initiative. Absolutely pointless. You. You're giving your players an option to do something they can't even escape out of. Right. Yeah. So, I took the rules from Eventier Games' uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden DM's Guide and turns it into a skill challenge, which in this case uses three specific skills. Reception, acrobatics, and athletics. And I think I actually have it written down in my notes. So... The DC was scalable, depending on level of players and all that. I used um, progressively more difficult DC. So the first DC on the perception was 10. The acrobatics check was a 13, and the athletics check was a 15. Now, you all had advantage on the perception check because of the goats. And I said in my rules, if anybody rolls a 20 or higher on that first check, not only do they obviously still succeed, but they have advantage on the next one. Okay. And then on the next one, if you roll a 20 or higher, you have advantage on the third one. Uh, which I think Edmund did that twice. And you guys were actually killing it on these checks, by the way. Like, uh, yeah, really, really good. good yeah, yeah, you guys were nailing this avalanche. Uh, so my rules were, obviously, if you make three successes, nothing happens, which you've, you saw that happen. Um, yeah. Essentially, nothing bad happens. You've successfully avoided all the worst parts. There's not even a half save. Like, just you're out scot-free. If you fail one of them, um, you take 1d10 bludgeoning damage, which did happen to yeah, two, of two of you. two of us got that, yeah. If you fail two of the three, you take 2d10 bludgeoning damage, and you're partially buried, but that doesn't technically have any mechanical detriments except for what's coming next, which is if somebody fails all three checks, they take 3d10 bludgeoning damage, and they are buried in the ice and snow. And then when they're buried, it takes somebody else either a perception check or an athletics check to basically see and or free that person. And anybody who's partially buried can't do that for that moment um, uh, yeah. with that first initial check. And if you fail that, then the person, again, I use that con save or get exhaustion. So just kind of mounting problems. Because right. I wanted to make the avalanche kind of scary if you're really doing a bad job and you take like the brunt of this. Uh, the yeah. damage alone could be potentially scary, though. I mean, a D10. Sure. 3D10 is, yeah. Yeah. So, and obviously I could have played with that. What's interesting is, you know, we talked about this in the chat that I was like, somebody's like, what if um, Valravin Misty Steps as an option? Which, is exa- which was exactly what I was going to do if you had, if you had started to talk about me getting carried away. Uh, I, had, I, I, was like, I was like looking at it, I was like, 
talk about. Yeah. Or rather than getting taken away by the snow, instantly he's going to miss you step out of there. Yeah. Um, essentially, yeah, so it wouldn't help you with the perception checks. Obviously, it not have anything to do with moving. But if you had failed, um, the or probably would have been better is if you said instead of rolling the acrobatics check, you say, "Can I just misty step to avoid it?" I, yeah, I, I was literally like, because it's an avalanche, I was literally like holding that for getting buried scenario. Okay, like, which I would have allowed that too. Yeah, if you were buried. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would have allowed. I would have made that an auto success. But the only safe place it would have. So I, I wrote. I, I had in my notes. I was like, "All right." The only safe place to go is literally up in the air, which you can do that with a misty step. Obviously, you'd have to fall down. And can you actually? Oh, I thought I, you could. Just... I don't. Oh, but is it a save point on the ground? I, I thought it. Uh, let me read it. Oh, but... I don't actually know that. That's a good point. No, I guess this is an occupied space that you, you can, can see. see. Yeah, but I would so rule I it depending on how you rolled in your perception check. If you had rolled well enough, I said you can find a spot you can misty step to within thirty okay. feet. Gotcha. Which I don't. I would have just you know whatever you had rolled. Um, but otherwise, you could technically go straight up in the air. You'd have to take damage coming down, which may be the better choice. I don't know. I would have left that up to you. Right, that would have been an auto-success right. on basically either the last two, but I think you would have had to make that choice before making the check. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would have... But I, I think that was the only option you guys had between all the different characters in terms of escaping it. So that was like a mini kind of... It was part skill challenge and kind of like multi-complex step trap at that point. Right, yes. Like varying grades of penalties. Yeah. And you guys kicked ass at it. Like, it was honestly, like, the checks were incredible. The rolls were really good um, to where, yeah, only two of you failed one of the three, <laughs> which the odds of that are right. nuts with all these different uh, checks you had. And you yeah. having disadvantage uh, with your exhaustion level, too. Yep. Actually came into play and still did, yeah. not too bad. So yeah, I would, I would recommend those avalanche rules because I thought that was more satisfying than rolling initiative and not having it really matter and 1d10 to yeah, I, I feel Yeah, putting people into initiative unless it's going to actually, like, it's going to actually matter like people do things is just yeah. wasting people's time, I think. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. This is probably the better choice. Yeah, it's... There, there are probably trap situations where going to initiative would be very interesting, but this was not one of them. Yeah, those that was an example of like I like the idea of an avalanche. It's very classic, but I'm yeah. and thankfully I found these other rules in that DM guide um that seem to be more satisfying at least from what I read. Yeah. Uh and then we made it to the next event which I can't talk about too much. Well, we can talk about the fight, but because you guys didn't make it far enough to uh you know, check on the body. Oh, right. But there was another fight here, which I think this was this the first session where we got two fights off. I don't. We might have done that in the gem mine. I can't remember now. I don't remember. I feel like we got a maybe pretty good amount done. Yeah. Um. This one, as written, is two of these cats, and right. I thought that's not enough. That's not enough. Like, come on, these Not cats. Dangerous enough. Yeah, the, I mean, they're. You saw them in action. Like, they can be dangerous, but they don't have. Yeah, a, I mean, they seem like they don't have a whole lot of hit. They don't have a whole lot of hit points. Like, yeah. They don't have a whole lot of armor class. Yeah. So I had five. Five. I had five. And. A little it, overcompensation. There. I looked at it. Yeah, 
I looked at it and they're very big tokens. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, okay, Edmund did go down with the owl bear fight. So basically, this was a classic like DM's got extra cats in his pocket. I mean, I guess that's yeah. Like having them doesn't mean you're, you're right. Like like you could have them prepped and then be like, all right, how are they? Basically, yeah. These, these were the extra like cats waiting in the wings. Um, and I, you know, initially, a lot of that would depend on like their attack rolls and like how the dice were treating me or you, and like and. So were you seeing us? Were you? Uh, potentializing a scenario where we kick too we kick too much ass and you bring in more cats possibly okay it also would depend on the timing of the session too and it was uh, it was yeah. looking like i was i think we we're rolling an issue like 11 15 i was like even if they kick ass i'm probably not gonna add more cats unless they really that's, kick ass here but yeah that's totally fair yeah sure. like we'll see um because yeah you never know like you know how long anything's that's the one thing that's probably the hardest thing to prep is the timing of all these things yep so yeah, I have two more cats on this paddle map that I'm looking at um, that were just waiting in the wings. And the interesting balancing factor is they got that surprise round. They have a, it's a DC 17 perception check to see them. Uh, or passive perception, I guess, in this case. And they get that surprise round off. They don't have multi-attack, if you noticed, but they do have that pounce yeah. ability. So if they pounce at you and they get that claw attack off, then they can, and you have to force the save which three of you made that fucking save i can't believe yeah. that strength that save round. yeah then they get that then they get their bonus attack to bite uh, which has advantage because you're prone so that becomes way more dangerous at that point right so even though i got the surprise round and the advantage and i hit i think with all three attacks uh they did not get their bonus actions off so you actually eliminated like half their attacking power in that opening round and then I rolled abysmally for their all three initiative scores, which thank you for the chat for reminding me because I totally forgot about that our multi-initiative thing. Yeah. I almost thought it wasn't working. So I was like, wait, the other one rolled a, a six also? And the other one rolled a seven. Yeah. Okay, well, fuck. I'm just rolling like <laughs> twos and threes for their initiative. Yep. So it was just hilariously low. So you guys all got to react and uh, go at them, which, yeah, they have an average of like 30 to 40 hit points depending on how I rolled. And you guys did pretty good. Again, that Distant Whispers, that was a great combo. That worked that time. Well, I guess it worked technically both times, but yeah. I, I especially worked that second time because it actually took him down. Yeah. I really wish I would have gotten my thing off, but uh, I kind of teased something that might have happened. I, I was confused about why you, you specifically said it worked. It, it went off when I did mine, but it didn't go off when Edmund did his. Correct. I don't know if you can expound upon that or not, but I, I couldn't quite parse what the, what you were trying to say. I mean, say I, I tried to explain that, like, oh, this is an area effect attack. Okay, this doesn't, oh. that thing doesn't happen then. Oh, okay. I didn't know there was a specific, like, sing this, maybe this is DM meta knowledge, but I didn't know of any magic which only applies to single target effects. Yeah, I, I think this creature might be new to Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Somebody might know the answer to that. But uh, this is uh, obviously not a normal like mountain lion or anything. It's a right. larger monstrosity with some extra little flavoring. I think that's the main extra flavoring thing it has, though. Interesting. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see it go off because you were the only one to do that kind of a spell. Right. Um, the other ones were all AOEs or Raymond just chucking his magic stones. <laughs> right. And it failed, which you did a great job of... I think even without it, I didn't even need the bardic cutting words, did I? I don't even. I think I just no, rolled bad. No, I, I didn't need to do that. Yeah. yeah, which that was. I mean, that was a great use of it, though. That was a good combo to do that, and then the what? 
Yeah, once once I get to five and I get my bardic back on a way better. A lot. Sorry, your mic is cutting out. Hang on, say that again. Oh, is it? Yeah. I'll say once I get to level five and get my back in a rest, um, it's that's gonna be a lot better. But now mm. I'm like, like it's like painful to do it that and be like, ah, oh, it didn't matter. Shit, I used one of my four for the entire like day. That's so weird. I think bards should just get that on a short rest automatically. Uh, it, like, yeah. let them use their bard inspiration more often <laughs> from the start. That's not to level five. Does that happen? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think it scales up at that point too to a D eight. It does, yeah. Goes up to D8, and you get it back in your short rest. Yeah, yeah. Short rest up, you can throw that shit around like crazy. Right. Like if you're right. short resting, like I mean, after almost every fight, like you're just like bardic inspirations for all every turn. Yeah. Or do your yeah sure. cutting words. Yeah, that's a fun combo. Um, but yeah, this is another fight that I thought was fun because again, these guys didn't stick around too long. You guys were doing damage. I fudged hit points twice by one hit point just because I was like, ah, oh, that's a cool thing. You can kill him with that. The- they got it, yeah. Yeah, like, technically, that, that cat that you had feared um, would have had one hit point left, but I was like, whatever, you can kill him, and he slides on the mountain. And same thing with right. Raymond's uh, magic stone. He had three hit points. Raymond does two damage. Like, whatever, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Keep, keeping them around at that point, he's just sort of, like, just padding. It's yeah. Like, and, like, okay, the, and the, the combat's other, over. The other reason this balances back in your favor is because these are more animalistic, and they don't fight to the death, same as the owl bear, which means... Yeah you get another round, basically, because that, that round where they're fleeing, they're not attacking at all. They're not doing their action. So they are fleeing, which in this case only happened the one time, which was the one uh, cat number two used the disengage action and fled rather than tried to even attack because it was just that low on hit points. Okay. Number three, you actually feared away, and then number one, you just legitimately murdered before it had its turn again, I think. Right. So that's something to be... Uh, it's an interesting balancing factor. Like, yes, I got the surprise round, I got the attacks off, but then they're not going to fight to the death. They're going to flee whenever their numbers get low enough. Uh, and frankly, even if the time wasn't a factor, I don't, I'm not sure I would have added the other crag cats because it, it was still pretty painful. It was still I mean, pretty painful. What? Yeah, I mean, I took Edmund was certainly scared enough to run away, and then Valrobin went down. Then we still think, injured. Th- this whole session, we came up on something that I've read about about combat in general. That I feel like. It in both cases, it kind of made sense here. Is that if if it makes if you don't have to heal people in combat, don't because uh, just a- action economy, just healing in combat is just a waste of time. A mm, lot of times, it's unless like, they go down. Well, well, no. Even with like, if even if you don't, if they go down and you don't have to bring them back. Oh, it's like okay. Well, that that cre- you're now just just putting the action economy in the monster's favor because you're bringing somebody back. But they can just get hit again the next time. Next time the monster goes down again, yeah, that's true. And it's sort of this weird. So if if you can do damage, do damage. (laughs) If if, if it's going to end the combat, I think in these cases we did exactly that. You're coming up against tactical versus role because some people would role play like healers or people that care about their other players. Like they would try to heal. I did think it was funny that you guys were all like, "How how many death saves do you have over there?" (laughs) You're like, "I'm I got one. I'm fine." Right. Yes. That, that that those are tactical decisions. Those are tactical decisions. Yeah. When you see somebody bleeding out and you see that timer going, you're like, ah, you'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, I'm realizing like nobody's got like. Also, when combat, this this in in D and D, when combat gets hairy, people kind of stop thinking role playing wise. Yeah. Start thinking that's true. Tactically. Yeah. Pure tactics at this point. Like, oh shit, lives are on the line. Yes. So yeah, I was I was satisfied even with just these three. 
frag cats, which is surprising because yeah. our CR1. Like, it didn't seem like 2, as written, 2 was going to be enough of anything for you guys, even when I, even with me getting that surprise round off. So that's why I had 5 here initially, because I'm like, God, they're only CR1. You guys are a full party of level 3s. Now, granted, this was before I was going to fight the uh, force, the owlbear fight, and I didn't know how damaging that would be, and it did down a player, so... Right. But I ended up keeping those two in the wings, and I think that ended up being uh, the right decision, ultimately, because you guys are only halfway up this mountain. <laughs> Who I mean, knows what else? They hit, they hit hard. They, yeah, they. Hard. they yeah. I. You know, that's the thing is the dice. I don't think I was missing with a lot of my attacks, yeah. versus like that that Grell fight where he was like missing left and right. Like in this case, like the out the Albear hit with its one round, and these guys I think were hitting with just about most of its most of their attacks, and that does make a difference. Yeah. Also, you guys got crits this um, fight. But yeah. A few. Thanks to my fairy fire. Yeah, that's, that's right. true. Both yeah, of them fair, fair. were on advantage, weren't Dude, they? Well for that. that was a really good fairy fire. Yeah, how are y'all spell slots now, since you guys are kind of the two big casters? Not great. I got, like... <laughs> I, I got two level ones and one level two. All right. Which is not terrible. It's half... I've, I've used half of my spell slots yeah. in total. And I've used yeah. three of my four bardic inspirations. Mm. Yeah. Good bad. I only have one level. One. I mean, I only have three level ones to start off with. So I already used up two. Yeah, I, you've done a pretty good job of rationing, but yeah, it's it's tough when you only have when you have so few to work with. Yeah. Uh, making players roll their death saves to DM only—that's not a bad idea. Oh, Just so the players it, don't keep, know. Don't know. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of interesting, gritty rules you can do if you want to play that kind of game. Like, we just talked right. about earlier in this game uh, about sharing health bars. Like, you could keep that a secret and, oh, right. and make sure to not. Players can't reveal that information. As you said, you could be like, oh, he looks real bad. <laughs> ostensibly, I, I don't I don't mind the idea of like not sharing that, but yeah. logistically in the real world, equates to is us just best asking a bunch of annoying questions. Right. Yes. We're us just constantly asking That requires how, a who 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 look who feels the worst. Yeah, who, exactly. How, oh, Edmund, how do you feel right now? Yeah. Do you need me to it requires a level of buy-in from the players and the DM to have that kind of game where it's like, no, we're not going to talk about like, oh, I just feel real bad. You're like, oh, shit, should I heal them? Which, if you want to play right. that kind of game, you can. I don't think we're yeah. gonna interested in playing that kind of game. So I'm okay with sharing that information. <laughs> I didn't realize you guys couldn't yeah. see phrase. I'll have to fix our token about that. I think, you fixed I, think, I think you did fix it. Well, I did, but only for... Oh, no. Oh, I think oh, it only changes yeah, for yeah. literally that map. I think I have to change the default. Yeah, it went away again. Yeah, because ah. if I change it on the token, it's really just for that map. I have to change the default token, which I'll go ahead and do that now. And yes, Chad, at some point, my Bard Inspiration for Eloquence does get awesome. Where it oh, yeah? Sticks for, like, if someone uses it and fails, they get to hang on to it. It doesn't go away. So they just they just hang on to it until they succeed with it. Oh, like succeed yeah. what they're trying to do with it. Yep. So uh. if they use my bardic inspiration and still fail, they hang on to that bardic inspiration. And there's another one uh. later. I and I don't know. I don't know. I think this might be like later, fourteen or something. Um, where if they succeed with the bardic inspiration, they pass it to somebody else. Wow, that's crazy. But it, it gets to the point where, like, everybody should have Marcus. <laughs> yeah. That shit rolling around. 
Deleting the... Yeah, well, for 14 is the inf infectious inspiration where it spreads. Oh, that's pretty late, though. <laughs> but that yeah, is yeah cool. that's real late. Yeah. But at 6, if they if they use the Bardic Inspiration they still fail, they keep that the Bardic Inspiration. Hmm. So that's, that's nice. So yeah, we've made it about halfway into this mountain excursion, which is basically a dungeon crawl. Just a little bit different. I mean, it seems like it seems like it's definitely done. It's just, just a linear, just a, yeah, a, of a it, which it, I don't mind at all. I think I think it's a good like. I'll say this: I don't think it'd be a good idea to have two of these in a row. Mm -hmm. But having like like okay, we just did this this exploration dungeon where you can go any direction and go down this tunnel or that tunnel and yeah, that to the to this where that there's very little exploration part. Yeah, but it's just a series just like of events. events. Yeah, series of events happening events. basically. I think that's I think that's that's totally cool. I, I I would then not want to go to another one. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think that will do it for Frostside chats. Do we have anything else we need to say about session seven? About more I thought this had a pretty good balance between, uh, with, with, especially with the animals. The fact that Reese was able, and you also yes. were able to do the role playing with the animals, kind of added it in there because otherwise this I would have had a lot of socializing in this one. Outside of being proud of my my impression of, I am proud more than that. I am proud of my deduction of how Thimbleweed was going with that dog. Yeah, that was <laughs> when good. Reese showed up and he was like, just started interacting with the dog. I was like, yes, I'm right. <laughs> exactly how I would treat it. Yeah. <laughs> Pompous attitude, for sure. Uh, yep. Alright, so next time we will continue up our mountain excursion, and... I don't know what's... I know what's gonna happen, but you guys might not happen. Yeah, to an yeah. extent, I don't know what's gonna happen either. We'll see uh, how far we get in that one. Yes, indeed. Uh, Alright, that'll do it for Frostside Chats. Thank you to Chris and Raymond. Thank you to all the fans for watching. I am Eric, and we'll see you all next week. See you next time. Bye.